Thank you for listening to the Grace Church Podcast, where you can find teachings, Bible studies, and words of encouragement for any season. For more resources, you can go to graceorlando.com. All right, welcome back to Bible Study here at Grace Orlando Church. We're so glad that you're tuning in with us today. So we've been doing a series that is titled The Forgiveness That You Never Knew That You Have. And in the previous weeks, on the first week, we talked about you're forgiven of all your iniquity. The second week, we talked about you're forgiven of all your sins. And here, the third week, we're talking about you're forgiven for all your transgressions. If you haven't listened to those messages, go back, because as you go back and you listen and the foundation's laid, you'll better understand what I am saying today. So anyways, let's just start off with the word transgression, okay? It's the Hebrew word pesha, and this is found in Isaiah 53, 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. So what is a transgression? It's literally to step past a boundary. Wow, think about our whole life and all the boundaries that we stepped across. I mean, if you look at the Mosaic Law, it was all boundaries against God and boundaries against men. The first four commandments were against God, and then the other six commandments were against man. And so when we take a look at this, um, and we better understand what this means when we say a transgression, it's actually stepping past a boundary as the children of Israel stepped uh, past the boundaries of the commandments whether it was against God or was it whether it was against man. And so when we look at this, we go back and we think about 2 Corinthians chapter 3, and it says that the law, okay, which is a boundary, is the ministry of condemnation and death. Wow, the ministry of condemnation and death. That's what comes from that ministry. But if we go back earlier to look at Adam's transgression and how he transgressed and what that brought in, we're going to see that it's going to be the same exact thing that the law did. Okay, so when we go back, when he was saying, hey, you can eat from every tree, you can eat from every tree. God was so generous. You can eat from every tree, but this one tree you can't eat from, which was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Okay, and so he says, and the day that you do, you will surely die. Wow, you will surely die. So not only would they die physically, grow old and die, but they would die spiritually. They were cut off from God spiritually, okay? And so when we sort of look at that and we start to understand the consequence for stepping over boundaries, um, then we understand what it's going to come and it's going to bring forth, okay? Condemnation and death. Where did condemnation come in with Adam and Eve? What what happened? It says that they saw their eyes were open and that they saw that they were naked and they grabbed fig leaves and covered themselves and hid from God. What is that? That's condemnation. It's shame and guilt. It's what keeps us away from a loving father. And now we know Jesus paid for both of these things. How do we know? Because Jesus died as us and for us. Jesus was condemned as us and for us at the cross. And because of that, today, we have no more death to look forward to. My friend, if you're thinking that you have death to look forward to, death is behind you. It's not in front of you. It was 2,000 years ago when Jesus died. God reckoned that as your death. So for the believer today, according to Paul, is that you fall asleep. Okay, and then what about condemnation? Think about Jesus on the cross, okay, and he was condemned. Do you know from 
12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you know what he said before that from 9 to 12? He said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. So what happened was at 12 o'clock, God imputed all of our sins, okay, that we would be condemned for. And he judged, condemned, and punished him so that we would never be condemned again. That's why in Romans 8, 1, it says, therefore, there is now present tense from this moment on that we're speaking all the way through eternity. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ. So let's talk about how Jesus paid and why did Jesus have to pay in the way that he did. Have you ever thought, why did Jesus have to hang on a cross? Do you know capital punishment, uh, according to the Jews, was to be stoned to death. And blood still would have been shed and sins could have still been paid for. But why did he have to hang on a cross? Number one, the curse. Cursed is anyone that hangs on the tree. What was the curse? Condemnation and death. Now, we're going to look at something really interesting. So, in Isaiah 53, 5, it says that he was wounded for our transgressions. That word wounded is kalal, and it literally means to bore a hole. Now, get a picture of this. To bore a hole. That means there's something put into something else, and a hole is made. Where were holes made at the cross? In his hands and in his feet they bore holes in them. That's what the wound is. Now, what's really interesting, listen to the scripture in 2 Colossians 14. It says, blotting out the handwriting of requirements that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. My friends, do you understand that God nailed transgression into Jesus's hands and his feet to pay the price as the blood dripped down? it was paid for. Listen, if somebody's told you that you've done something wrong, that you've transgressed and you've done something wrong, and you think now that the enemy has a legal right to take what's yours, there couldn't be anything farther from the truth. Why? Because Jesus already paid for your transgression. Whatever that may be, he paid for it. And so you don't have to worry about the thief to come steal, kill, and destroy. He has no legal right to. You know that word thief? It's the Greek word kleptos, where we get our English word klepto maniac that the enemy is like a maniac trying to steal what doesn't belong to him and let me tell you friend because of what Jesus did he has no legal right to take that's not his he might try to trick you but he can't take it and so just be assured if there's something that you've transgressed over something that you've done whether you feel you've done it against God or you've done it against man because of what Jesus did, the enemy has no legal right to come in and to steal, kill, and destroy. And so, literally, transgression was nailed into his hands and to his feet, okay? And so, that way, it was paid and nailed to the cloth to cross the handwriting of requirements that were against us. This is the law. So anywhere in your life, past, present, or future, you would ever break the law. Jesus has already taken that transgression upon himself and it was nailed to him and blood came down and that blood has redeeming quality to buy us back and set us free from the, not, not just from the judgment, condemnation, and punishment, but even the consequences of those things. Here, let me just let you in on this little insight. Even when you do something wrong, God can change the consequence that you would normally get and work it out together for your good to bring something good even out of the wrong you've done. That's why it says, if sin abounds, grace super abounds. 
Think about that for a second. If sin abounds, grace superabounds. That word abounds for sins, pleonazo, and it just means to increase. But when it says, but grace superabounds, it's hooperparisio. That means it's superly above and beyond, and it's enough to swallow up sin and extinguish it from its very root so that you get the blessings that you don't deserve. Now, there's a, a scripture in Isaiah 43, 25. And it says, I, even I, am he that blotteth out your transgressions. So he's even using the same terminology they were using in the New Testament, blotting out our transgressions. To blot something out is that it is no more. Whatever was there doesn't remain anymore. But here's the part I really want you to get to, okay, is this right here, is that he says he does it for its own sake. He blotted out our transgressions for his own sake. Why? Let me tell you this, my friend. He wants you more than you'll ever want him. Don't ever think and put yourself in the position of God that you can want God more than he wants you. He's God. That's his given right to want you more than you want him. And so you can just rest and you can be assured even in your worst failures, even when you've transgressed, no matter what's going on in your life, guess what? He wants you more than you'll ever want him. And that's such a comforting thing. When I learned and understood that, it put me at such a deeper rest knowing that no matter what, wherever I fail, not that I'm purposely trying to fail, but listen, we all fail. People that come around and they're trying to say, oh, well, you fail this and you fail that, they've got failures too. They judge themselves by condemning you. And it's so it, it's like, don't let somebody come and talk to you like that. Know this, that no matter what happens, he still wants you more than you ever want him. That's right, my friend. Think about the worst thing that you've ever done, your worst transgression, whatever it is in your whole life. And at that moment you did it, God wanted you more than you ever wanted him. Ooh, my friends, let that just sit and just process that and take that and put that in your pocket and meditate on that and let God reveal what I'm talking about to you to take you to a whole new level of rest. So what's really interesting is what I've come to understand about the grace message is that we can't really fathom the full grace message. We know in part and we see in part, but but we don't know the whole thing comprehensively. We can't see the God's grace in its fullness because his fullness is great. It was greater than anything we ever needed. Do you not know that Jesus just didn't make things even? He was an overpayment. He paid over, above, and beyond. Why? So not only that your debt would be paid, but that you could get all the blessings that you didn't deserve, especially at the times when you don't deserve them. You know how like sometimes we think, well, I've been doing pretty good, so if God gives me something, you know, I've done something good, so it's okay, you know. No, my friend, you don't deserve anything because you could have never paid your debt, but Jesus paid your debt so that you wouldn't have to. And he didn't just pay your debt. He overpaid so that God on a righteous foundation could give you blessings that you don't deserve. That is good news, my friends. Receive that today. And so when Isaiah... 55 7 through 9 and i'm gonna start in 8 and 9 it says that god's speaking and it's saying he's saying my thoughts are higher than your thoughts saith the lord for as the heavens are high above the earth so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts and my ways higher than your ways do you know what the context of that is listen to this it literally means in verse 7 that he abundantly 
pardons. So what he's saying to us is that we can't even fathom what he meant by abundantly pardoning. So let's look at those words. Abundantly is the Hebrew word rabbah. And rab means above and beyond. And hey is grace. So his above and beyond grace is what forgives all of your transgressions. His above and beyond grace is what forgives your your transgressions. So think about that for a second. It's like I like I've been having the grace message uh, for almost 14 years, and I've been studying it, and I study it on a regular basis, and I'm still blown away as I continue to learn that there's always more that I didn't know that I thought I knew. I thought I just knew all my sins were forgiven, or all my iniquities were forgiven, all my transgressions were forgiven, and there's so much more than that of what his superabounding grace is and what it has done on our behalf to where I can't even fully grasp it. It's just, it part of it's still a mystery, but I know enough of it where it leaves me and puts me in rest in my heart. And that's where he wants us to be at, my friends. He wants us to be at rest, knowing that everything has been paid. And not only has it been paid, it has been paid exceedingly above and beyond so that we could get a life that we don't deserve. You know, I was just thinking about it actually this morning and I'm looking at my life and it's like, I was just thinking if I could just get off drugs, everything would be better. You know, just work a job and, and, you know, just have a normal life. But he paid for more than that. And I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a job and that people don't have purposes at jobs. Yes, there are some people that are called to certain jobs that that's their purpose in life. And I totally get that. But God has so much more than what we're willing to settle for because he paid such a high price for it. And it's like, I've just had the privilege over the last 20 years of being in the ministry and being able to grow in the ministry and to help so many people. And it's been such a blessing um, to me to be able to have done that, that my life actually makes sense now and it's worth whatever was paid for me to have. And he has the same thing for you, my friend. You might be in a place, especially at the times we're at right now with with, uh, corona going around and everything seems to be shutting down and you're like, what am I here for? I'm telling you, my friend, we're going to pray in just a minute and we're going to pray that you find out what your purpose and your destiny is, what you and only you could do and what you were created for, what all the grace gifts that he's given you and you step into that and it brings beyond satisfaction. It brings something that's not of this world into resting on our hearts that we have something that we should and we know we never should have had if it was dependent upon us and that's what makes us thankful for the life we get to live here while we're on earth and it's full of purpose it's full of destiny it's full of us doing things that bring us joy and helping other people and however we do that amen and just to take a minute right now I'm gonna stop and we're gonna pray for that And I pray in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by his authority that you would open up every person's eyes that's listening to this and that they would see the purpose that you have for them and you would start leading them from the inside out to whatever it is that they are called to do, that they may live life and life more abundantly, that they would have joy when they lay their head down at night knowing, man, I didn't deserve this day and what I got to do, but he gave it to me because he paid for it. 
it. So I receive it and I am thankful for it. Amen. So the last story we're going to look at, and I always like to use a Bible story, um, and it is Balak and Balaam. Now we use this in another context. I'm going to use it in a different context this time. Okay. And so basically this is uh, in Numbers 22 verses 23 to 34, and it's focusing on Balaam. Okay. So Balaam is a picture of us. We were foreigners to God, and that's what his name literally means is a foreigner. Okay. We were foreigners to God. Okay. And Balaam was hired by Balak. Okay. Which means to annihilate. Okay. And he's a picture of the enemy to curse the children of Israel. Okay. So he's going, and basically what he's getting ready to do is he's ready getting ready to cross over a boundary he's getting ready to commit a transgression okay and what is that again by him cursing the people of god so he's he's on his donkey and he's riding and so there was an angel standing in the way with a sword drawn okay now if you know anything about how the Hebraic mind sees an angel, they reckon to it as death. If you see anybody that ever saw an angel and lived, they're like, alas, I can't believe that I lived. Uh, you know, uh, because to them, an angel meant death. It was, it was an executing angel, so to speak. And so, uh, so basically, uh, he was going on the donkey and the donkey, his eyes were opened by the angel so that he would avoid taking him across the threshold or the boundary or that transgression okay so that he wouldn't die to the point where he would be continually beating his animal to go through and then all of a sudden the animal spoke in a human voice and told him you know and explained to him hey I, i've always been your donkey man i haven't I always been good to you and after the donkey was done done talking he, the angel opened up balaam's eyes to see the angel standing there with the sword and he goes oh my gosh i've transgressed and he realized what he was doing and in the end he was trying to curse the people of god and here let me tell you this just as us as a people of god this is just a side note okay what god has blessed it can't be reversed this is what balaam tells balak what god has blessed it cannot be reversed. So what's really interesting, you're like, well, how can that be? Why? Because there had already been a judgment for that year. On the day of Yom Kippur, they would offer up a sacrifice and all their iniquity, their sins, their transgressions were all forgiven for a whole year. Okay, so now that a judgment has already taken place, God won't bring judgment on the people. It's the same thing with Noah's Ark. When it rested on Mount Ararat after the flood, Okay, and there was a judgment and everybody died, but only eight souls were saved. That, that uh, Mount Ararat means the curse is reversed. So just think, wherever there's been a judgment, which Jesus Christ, he was already judged for transgressions, wherever there's been a judgment, okay, you can be assured whatever blessing God has given you, it can't be reversed. Even when we do wrong, here, let me even go out to say this, even when we know we willingly did wrong, can I tell you what? God's still going to give you good out of it because whatever wrong is going on and what's going underneath the surface for you to have done that, he understands and identifies with it. And guess what? He's going to let his goodness lead you to repentance. That's what he's going to do. 
you know, uh, in Romans 2, 4, when it gives us that scripture, it was for the worst of the worst. These people rejected God. They knew exactly what they were doing. And God still said, do you not know the long suffering and the, and the kindness of God, that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. And that, that word leads is the Greek word ago, which literally means to lift up and to give a, a perspective from a higher elevation. And by you being lifted up into a higher elevation, you're seeing things the way God sees them. Remember, he said, my, high, my, my ways and my thoughts are higher than your ways and your thoughts. Okay. And it says by that, it leads us to repentance. And the word for repentance, okay, is metanoia. And metanoia means to change your perspective. So by having a higher elevation and seeing the way God sees in part, okay, is going to change your perspective. And once your perspective is changed, what you do changes. Wow, that's pretty amazing when we think about that and that he does all that stuff. We don't do it. He leads us. Just like when uh, in uh, Luke 15, when uh, the sheep took off and he left the 99 to go after the one, he went after it to, to seek for it until he found it. And when he found it, you know what the first thing he did? He put it on his shoulders. And then he says, then, then the term repentance is used. So the animal was lifted up on a higher elevation and, and seeing different than, than he saw when he was down there, which represents a sinner, okay? And uh, because he was lifted up, he had that different elevation and his perspective was changed. And now he realized he was being carried by Jesus and that he was already taken care of and he didn't have to take care of this situation on his own. It was already taken care of. And now the, the sheep could rest on the shoulders of his Savior. And guess what? Just because we get saved, people have this idea that, okay, Jesus did the work for us to get saved, but now we have to maintain the work. Friends, if you believe that, you will never experience a day of rest in your life because if we, if we could have finished it, don't you think we could have started it? Let me say that one more time. Put your thinking caps on here and listen to holy reasoning. If you could have started your salvation, then you could have finished it, but you couldn't start it. What makes you think you can finish it? You're on the shoulders of your Savior, and the shoulders rep represent strength to hold you up in all that he's done and all that he's going to do. So be at rest, my friends, knowing that your transgressions have been taken care of. You can expect the goodness of God to lead you to repentance. And I don't say that meaning that everything's going to work out exactly the way you want. God is doing something underneath it that he's going to bring out that is going to lead you to repentance. So if you're going through a tough time, um, just be assured that's only for a season, but God's going to bring you out of it because he's carrying you on his shoulders and he is going to bring you into the promised land that he promised you. Thanks for joining us today. Next week, we are going to be talking about the four different things that produce out of you knowing you're forgiven. And the first one is my favorite piece. Because you know you're forgiven, guess what? You'll have peace in your life. Okay, we'll talk to you next week. Bye.